0: Uh, With Zach being out, I wanted to introduce our uh, speaker for today. We have today Mason Watts coming. Him and his wife live in Anderson. They attend Hopewell Baptist. And he is currently at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kentucky, um, working there as a student. And um, I just want to welcome him up now. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure uh, to be with you, even though I don't really know you, right? That's one of the joys of uh, kind of traveling around a little bit at, at different churches, being able to preach and teach. Uh, I get to see other believers, right? Sometimes in our uh, day-to-day Christian lives as, as churches, it kind of feels like, well, maybe we're all alone, right? Uh, we gather together, right? So we have our friends here. We, we link arms with our church family, uh, but then outside of that, right, it seems like maybe we're alone. Uh, but I get that great privilege of, of going around and seeing others, seeing other churches. And, and I realize what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 2, right? That there are all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord, right? We're not alone. So it's a pleasure to be with you to know that you also call upon the name of the Lord, or as Paul says in, in Tim, uh, to his letter to Timothy, right, that we all love his, that is Jesus' appearing. I know I can speak to you, I can come to you and worship with you because you love his appearing. You love the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We all call upon the name of the Lord. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, and to share from God's word. Uh, and again you you can listen to me right i can speak to you not because of my authority not because i really even have much to say of myself right? but because we stand on this as our foundation so if you will open with me to proverbs chapter 7 proverbs chapter 7 as i was preparing to be here this morning i was reflecting on proverbs 7 right in the book of proverbs but also, uh, kind of how it intersects with the Book of Ephesians. Uh, your pastor told me that uh, you've been walking through Ephesians on Sunday mornings, looking through Paul's letter, seeing his his arguments and what he has to say. And it struck me in, in Ephesians four, right? Paul calls the whole church to do the work of the ministry. Do you remember that? Right? Paul says he gives, uh, God gives apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists to the church to equip the saints, that is you, that is me, that is all Christians, for the work of the ministry. Now, many of us hear that, and then we think, wait a minute, ministry is for ministers, right? Uh, That's for the pastors, that's for the deacons, that's for the people who want to do this full time, right? I'm not a pastor, I'm not a deacon, I'm just a member. We think, I'm not equipped enough for that, right? We're talking about, you know, I don't have the wisdom to do that. I don't have the wisdom to sit down with someone and encourage them or counsel them, especially not teach them or or lead them. I'm not equipped. I I don't have the wisdom to do that. In fact, I'm actually pretty sure your pastor has felt that way himself. Now, he is someone called to full-time ministry, but I'm sure he's felt that way at times, right? Insufficient for the task. But God equips his church. God gives good gifts to the church so that we might be equipped for that task, that we might have that wisdom. You see, we need wisdom. Of course we do. Our lives are full of paths we can walk, choices we can make, and we need to be equipped with wisdom to choose the path that Paul calls worthy of the calling to which we have been called in Ephesians 4.1. If we want to grow like Paul talks about in Ephesians, if you want to grow as a church, if you want to grow in ministering to one another and, and growing in Christ-likeness, you're going to need wisdom. And the good news is that God has promised to equip His church with wisdom to do just that. Right, Standing on the promises of God. Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. So this morning... In Proverbs 7, we're going to pursue wisdom by pondering the path of a young man and then pondering our own paths, the paths of our feet. And we're going to see that wisdom plays a special role in keeping us from dangerous paths. And usually we think of Proverbs and we think of short little sayings of wisdom, right? But there's also stories. So this morning we're going to hear a story that's going to teach us wisdom. Follow along with me in Proverbs chapter 7. I'm going to read the whole passage, uh, the whole chapter, and then we'll pray and dive in. So Solomon, the author, writes, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I've looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness." And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I have paid my vows. So now I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth Talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways, do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we seek your face. Father, we seek your face. In Scripture, Father, we want to know wisdom. We want to be equipped to serve the church. We want to be equipped so that we can love one another and serve one another, that they might grow. So, Father, we've come to Proverbs this morning to learn wisdom. Father, I ask that you warn us through this passage. Father, warn us of the deceitfulness of sin, uh, the ways of foolishness. Father, protect us and guard us. Father, even now, uh, put a guard over my mouth. Uh, That I might not say anything in error, but that only what is good and profitable and true would be heard this morning. Father, we seek to hear from you in your word. Give us a vision of Christ and the cross. And in his name we pray. Amen. We're seeking wisdom. So, in verses 1 to 5, the author, Solomon, stresses the importance of keeping wisdom close. He says, My son... Keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight, your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words. Keep wisdom close. We're kind of jumping into the middle of the introduction of Proverbs here. So he's already told his son many things, many uh, proverbial sayings, right? He's given him wisdom, and now he, he stops to say, Listen, keep wisdom close. Solomon encourages his son to remember and to treasure up what he's been teaching him. Solomon wants his son to write it down, study, and remember all of the words, commandments, and teachings. That he's tried to give him he tells him bind them on your fingers right as if he were to write them on strips of paper and tie them around his hands but more than that right better than strips of paper on your hands write them on the tablet of your heart he says in verse three better than a thousand volumes of books with solomon's words is to have his teaching on his heart not only that he would remember all of his teaching on command, right? Not only that he'd just be able to call it up when he needed it, but that it'd be in his heart that he would love that teaching. You see, we don't really know the truth until we love the truth. Just as Solomon says, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Keep it as something as, of great affection, of constant concern in your eyes. Don't let it go to the wayside. Love it, treasure it, cherish it. Keep it close. You see to keep wisdom close, we're going to have to remember it and to love it. We need to repeatedly look at our source of wisdom and teaching and instruction, right for us, clearly is the Bible, it's the scriptures. Right? Better than Solomon's words alone, better than just the book of Proverbs. We have all of scripture which Paul says to Timothy is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to keep the whole Bible close as our source of wisdom. And we need to turn to it repeatedly. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses told Israel the same thing Solomon told his son. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Moses says, keep the law close. Bind it on your hands. Let it be on your heart. Israel needed constant instruction and reminders from their source of wisdom. So do we. We need frequent instruction and teaching from God's word. You see, that's why we gather weekly as churches, right? Right? We gather weekly as a congregation because we need reminders. We need a weekly pattern that God would set before us His Word by the mouth of a preacher who would tell us God's wisdom. That's why we gather weekly, but we need even more frequent reminders than one time a week. We need times when we are reminded when we gather in Bible studies, in small groups, uh, youth groups, all sorts of children's activities. And I would actually encourage you outside of just gatherings uh, of the church at at times where the whole church gathers. What about parents and spouses, right? Even as individuals, we need reminders often. I would encourage you as, as spouses or as parents, start a tradition of family worship. And the goal isn't to come up with something fresh and new every time, right? It's not that you need to preach a sermon to your spouse every time, though you might do plenty of those, right? No, the idea is remind each other. Remind each other of God's Word by reading it together often, even by gathering to, to read God's Word, pray, and maybe even sing a hymn. Right? Remind yourself of God's wisdom frequently, even as a family. The reality is we need frequent reminders because we're prone to forget. Moses continues in that same passage in Deuteronomy 6, and he says, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. We have to have reminders daily and in weekly patterns because we're prone to forget. It's interesting, right? Moses doesn't say to Israel take care lest you disobey take care lest you rebel Although those are clearly true he says take care lest you forget take care lest it slips your mind take care lest you forget what God has done take care lest you forget what God has told you to do so Solomon tells his son say to wisdom you are my sister And call insight your intimate friend, right? Keep wisdom close. Keep it beside you as your sister, as your intimate friend. And Solomon then tells his son why in verse 5. Look with me at verse 5. He says, keep wisdom close to, or in order to, in order that you might keep you from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words. This is where the enemy, the antagonist of the book of Proverbs, enter the picture. Lady Folly. The adulterous and forbidden woman who represents more than just adultery itself, right? But foolishness in general. She represents the betrayal of the most important relationship we could ever have. A relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer. Of her, Solomon said, She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. This is lady folly. She doesn't ponder the path of her feet like we said earlier. No, she doesn't think about it. She wanders. She is wayward. She's dangerous. You see, God has sent wisdom out into the world, and she cries from the streets in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8 verse 4 says, To you, O men, I call. And my cries to the children of man, O oh, simple ones, learn prudence. O oh, fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. You have this picture of Lady Wisdom outside calling to fools and to simple ones, Learn, get wisdom, come to me. And you have that other picture. Lady folly, lurking in the shadows. And Proverbs 7 is a warning to us of her. And in verses 6 to 23 of Proverbs 7, Solomon tells a story to illustrate just how dangerous she is. So look again with me at Proverbs 7. We're going to begin in verse 6. Solomon writes, For at the window of my house... I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices today, and I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. Now I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings colored linen from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love Till morning, Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Notice how Solomon sets up the scene. Well, it actually reminds me of a movie uh, called Rear Window. It's an old movie at this point. Uh, If you know the story, uh, well, it's the story of this photojournalist played by Jimmy Stewart uh, and he's stuck in his apartment on you know some high story because of an injury he suffered. And it put him in a wheelchair, right? And he can't get on the elevator. He can't leave his apartment. He's stuck there. And as he's recovering, he passes the time by looking out of the rear window of his apartment down onto the courtyard below and into the windows of the neighboring building. But one day, he's looking through his window, his rear window, and he witnesses what he believes to be a murder. So the rest of the story follows his attempts to prove from his apartment his suspicions, right? He continues to watch, and then he sends out his friends to go collect evidence. He wants to prove that this man killed his wife. And near the end of the film, the journalist sends his girlfriend to collect evidence from the scene of the crime as he's watching from the window, right? Right? He's stuck in his apartment, but he's looking across the way and he can see his girlfriend climb the ladder, enter through a window, rummage through the house, and she picks up something important and is holding it and showing it to him. And then you can imagine what happens, right? As she's busy searching, the suspected killer returns. Here's where the tension builds, right? We can see the murderer approaching, we can see the woman in danger. He gets closer. He gets closer. He puts his hand on the knob of the door. The door opens. But they're out of reach. It's frustrating. We want to yell out across the courtyard to this uh, girlfriend that she's in danger. But we can't. It's too far. We look at Jimmy Stewart, right, and he's helpless. You can see him struggling, the the, the look on his face, the, the, the soft cries that he wants to shout, but he just can't reach her. And we're helpless as the audience. We feel that tension. Solomon is witnessing a murder. He's watching from the rear window of his palace, and he sees a young man lacking sense passing along the street near her corner. He knows where he is. Solomon can see this young man in danger because he knows who this woman is. And as readers, we want to shout out and stop the man and say, stop, she's dangerous. Don't you know who she is? This is lady folly. We feel that pressure, the anxiety of watching it unfold. It's on purpose, right? We're meant to feel that tension just like in Rear Window. Right? Rear Window is a thriller, an Alfred Hitchcock movie for a reason. You're meant to be anxious and worried as you watch. We're meant to feel the same in Proverbs 7. Solomon wants to remind you of some danger. Notice that the young man is in a dangerous place at a dangerous time, right? Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening at the time of night and darkness. He's wandering along the streets when suddenly Lady Folly meets him. Solomon says she's wily of heart, loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him with bold face. She speaks to him. She's bold, even speaking to the young man loudly about things shameful. Shameful. There's no hint of shame as she comes up to him in public. And then she says, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. She acts as if she were intently searching for this particular young man. In reality, she's wandering the streets looking for any foolish victim. Notice as well, she puts up her religious front first. I had to offer sacrifices. Today I have paid my vows. One commentator wrote that she, and said that she wouldn't play the harlot with man till she had played the hypocrite with God. So then she offers rationalizations to the young man. In verse 19, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Right? He's going to be gone for a long time. And Solomon concludes the story in verse 21, really saying with much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. And here's the tragic turn in verse 22. This is what we wanted to warn him of all at once. He follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Like watching a murder across a courtyard from a rear window, the young man is killed, and we're left having witnessed the whole thing. And we have to ask, right, what would have made the difference? We, we couldn't jump out of the window. We couldn't grab this young man by the shoulders and sh- shake him, saying, this will cost you your life. But what could have stopped this? What would have shown him the danger? Solomon summarized it, it all in verses 24 to 27. Right? He's told his story, and now he wraps it up with these words. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low. All her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. What would have made the difference in this young man's life? Wisdom. Wisdom would have made the difference. Solomon has said, keep wisdom closed in order to keep you away from this woman. With wisdom in his eyes, the young man would have seen the bones littering the path down to her house. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Many mighty, strong men have been killed by her. With wisdom... With eyes of wisdom, the young man would have seen the gravestones along the road. They read, Here lies Samson, who delivered Israel from the Philistines, but was brought down by Delilah. Here lies David, king of Israel, who turned aside to the wife of Uriah. Here lies Solomon, king of Israel, whose heart was turned aside to idols by his many wives. A young man lacking sense needs wisdom to see the danger that he's in. You see, wisdom offers a light on the path so we can see the holes in the road. Samson, David, Solomon, they all fell to lady folly in their own ways. Well, what holes are in the road before you? Do you have wisdom to see? Like David it may very well be that the danger in front of you is a relationship with someone other than your spouse. It may be the computer at your desk. It may be the tendency to blow up at your kids or at your parents. My point is that this passage warns us of lady's folly, lady folly's many ploys. <laughs> it doesn't happen in one way. It's not all like Samson, David, and Solomon. These things are not inconveniences in your character, you see. They're traps of lady folly. And what would make the difference in your path? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. Wisdom keeps us from sin. If you're a Christian, search for wisdom in Scripture that you might not sin. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to God's Word, right? And to that same end, attending church, holding family worship reminds us of God's truth so that we might not sin. First John 2, chapter 1 makes it, 1 John 2, verse 1, not chapter 1, makes it very clear, right? He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you might not sin. The Bible was written so that you might not sin. Oh, Christian, read the Bible so that you might not sin. Think of what James writes. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Or again, where he writes of wisdom, saying, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. If you're trapped in sin, ask God for wisdom and seek wisdom in the Scriptures. And if you don't think you're trapped in sin, ask God for wisdom. You might not see the holes in the road before you. It's dangerous, even as John writes in 1 John, for us to think that we have no sin. He says if if we say we're in the light, if we say we are Christians and we are believers, as he is in the light, that is Christ, but we say we have no sin, we're liars. We do not practice the truth. And if we say we've never sinned, we've never had a sin problem, we make Christ to be a liar. Far be it from us to ever call Christ a liar. But he came and said, I died for you. I had to pay the punishment on your behalf. I was put on a cross in your stead. And if you say, oh, not my stead. Oh, no, not for me. Well, we make Christ a liar. It is dangerous to think that we Have not sinned. If you think that, ask God for wisdom that you might see the holes in your path. You might see the ploys of lady folly you're about to fall into. But you see, wisdom, it's not limited to a set of practical advice. Notice what Solomon says in verse 27. He he closes it all this way. He says, Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Do you see what's at stake here? A lack of wisdom is not m- only a shame or merely unfortunate. It's not if his people are going to laugh, you say, oh, he's just kind of, he's kind of simple, right? He's a fool. It's a death sentence. And not only physically, but eternally. It's not as if we preach wisdom so that you might handle your finances better, or you might make decisions in a better way, you might do better business deals, or that you might treat your family better so you have more peace. No, Christians preach wisdom so that you might be saved. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians one twenty three. right? We preach Christ crucified. That is, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. The true wisdom that we need is that Christ died to save sinners. We have all sinned. We're all guilty before God, but Christ died on the cross so that all those who repent and believe would be saved from the punishment due to us. He took our guilt. He took our punishment and our place if we would put our faith in Him. What did Paul say to Timothy, right? The Scriptures are not only able to make you wise so that you might make better decisions, not only to make you wise so that you would avoid sin, but make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That is true wisdom. Psalm said at the beginning of the chapter, keep my commandments and live, right? Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Right, we said don't forget it. Try to remind yourself frequently. But, but, but what can bind the law in our hearts finally and irrevocably? What can do it so that we would never forget? So that we would always remember Christ? Well, I was reminded of what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. He, he told them, right, I do not get, cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is his prayer. This is what he prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The Father of glory may give you the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. We need the Spirit of wisdom who opens the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus Christ. Only by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ can we find escape from Lady Folly. Through the gospel, God has promised his spirit to all those who repent and believe. And his spirit changes our hearts, softens it, writes God's word on our hearts. It opens our eyes so that we would see Jesus and see his glory and remember him. If you're an unbeliever, right, if you've never trusted in Christ, never repented of your sin, turned away from it, and turned to God in faith. The only way to deal with lady folly is to look to Jesus Christ. You can look in Scripture all you want as an unbeliever for a way to have a more satisfying life, a way to have a a more fulfilling experience, the way to do better business dealings, the way to, to just be a better person, right? But if you don't come through faith in Jesus Christ, it'll do you no good. You'll still be on the path of Lady Folly, wandering in her ways, stumbling about in darkness, ready to fall in a hole in the road. But Christ is the light of the world so that we might see if you are a Christian, if you have repented and believed, the only way we will deal with lady folly is to remember the cross. Never grow tired of hearing the gospel. You see, we need frequent reminders, but not only frequent reminders um, of practical things, right? Practical little advice that we might avoid traps and sin. We need frequent reminders of the gospel, Again, I tell you, you need church every week because you need to be reminded of what Christ did on the cross. You need to be reminded of of your guilt before God and how he came and paid the price for you. Even as a Christian, we don't stop preaching the gospel even to ourselves. We wake up every day remembering the gospel that we might avoid lady folly. Christ is the light of the world. Don't, Don't cut yourself off from the light. Remember the gospel. Lady Folly is dangerous because she wants to destroy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Christ came that we might have life, to have it abundantly. As we come to a time of closing, we'll sing a few songs at the end. I would just ask you to to remember these words. Remember the warning of Solomon. Solomon. If you would like to be wise, come to Jesus Christ. If you would like to avoid the dangerous path leading to Sheol, to the chambers of death, look to Jesus Christ. For every look at yourself and your own practices, 10,000 looks to Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Let's close. Father in heaven, we look to Christ Father, we know of no other way to avoid danger and sin and traps and lady folly than by looking to Christ. Oh God, give us the spirit of wisdom through Jesus Christ that we might live in a, a way worthy of the gospel, living in a manner fully pleasing to you. And Father, to that end, we want to live as you designed, as a church building one another up until the day of Christ, into maturity, to to full manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.